Good morning, saints. Last week, we began our passage with John's thunderclap declaration that Jesus came by water and by blood. Baptism, the baptism of Jesus and the active obedience of Christ in which he kept the law. He was not only without guilt, but he proactively did that which none of us have ever or could ever do, which is render perfect obedience to God. He came by baptism and also the cross, the passive obedience of Christ, in which he took my sins on himself, he became sin, so that I might become the righteousness of God in him. John emphasizes his point by saying, not just by water only, but by water and by blood. You cannot cut the cross out of Christianity. The one who testifies to all of this is the Spirit of God. And the three are in perfect unison. The Spirit, the obedience of Christ, His baptism, His ministry, the cross, all of which speak a perfect word. As Paul summed up, be reconciled to God. So remember the context of this basic passage. Jesus has overcome the world. You and I are in Christ. We are united to him, with him. And so we are also called overcomers. The spirit will always point to Jesus. Always. He always glorifies the son. He does not glorify himself, but he points us to Christ. The question that we will look at today, there's actually three questions as we continue the passage that we did not finish last week. Number one, what testimony, which testimony, whose testimony will you accept? God, God's or man's? Number two, what is the testimony of God? What is the essence, what is the content of God's message to us? And number three, what will you do with the message of God? Whose message will you accept, God's or man's? What is God's testimony? And what will you do with the testimony that God has given So let's read our uh, text beginning in verse 6 of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, and we'll read through verse 12. Speaking of Christ, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth. 
For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. As John continues through his letter, his intensity intensifies because he's bringing things to a conclusion. John is the author of contrasts. He's spoken of light and darkness, truth and lies, children of God and children of the devil and so forth. And here is one more blunt Contrast the testimony of God and the testimony of people or the testimony of man. There has never been a more important question. This question actually takes us all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God said remember that phrase in the very beginning the first few chapters of genesis over and over and over again god said god said god said god said god said and then who showed up well the serpent said what did god really say that is that really what he said did he really mean that can we really trust it can we really base our life on it Can we use that as our straight edge? Maybe he meant this. Not that we ever see that in culture today. There has literally been a war, a battle ever since. In the sense of God's truth and every other man-made philosophy under the sun. God's word never changes. God God's truth never changes. God's truth stands eternal. And John is going to put that to us this morning. Will you accept God's testimony? Or are you standing on shifting sand on the testimony of people? So we have a lot of scripture to look at this morning. The voice of God, the testimony of God, reverberates throughout the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. There will always be another voice. There will always be another pole, another path. But that voice, Scripture tells us over and over again, 
ultimately is the voice of distraction and the voice of death. Because there is no life in it. Take, for example, Isaiah. Isaiah had the same job description that every prophet basically had as a spokesperson for the Lord. Confronting people with the truth. Are you going to obey the truth or are you not? Which way are you going to go? There's a fork in the road. There's only two ways. In chapter 8, Isaiah brought this message. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should a person not consult God? Should they consult the dead in behalf of the living? Watch his response. To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak in accordance with this word, the word of God, it is because they have no dawn. They have no hope. They have no future. There's no light. There's no truth. People will continuously and always speak their own truth. But when it comes against the truth of God, we need to stay with the truth of God. New Testament. Look at what Peter has to say. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now stop there for a moment. There's John's statement. He talks about being born of God. The life of God in the life of people. Peter speaks to the same thing. It's a gospel issue. You have been born again. Born from above. In accordance with the word of God. The living and abiding word of God. Your eternal destiny is staked on the word of God. Four, and he's actually quoting Isaiah. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please note what he's saying. Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, New Testament, New Covenant is taking God's truth from the Hebrew scriptures and he's saying this is what the word of God is. It is living and it is abiding. God does not write with a number two pencil, if you remember what those are, where there's an eraser on one end and that ah, well maybe we'll sorry, we got that part wrong. So glad we're in the twenty first century, wherever we're gonna amend that. That's not what God's word is. The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter says the gospel, the gospel is the word of God. It is the truth of God that does not change. It abides forever. And this is how you were born again through the truth 
of God's word. Many of you know that this very passage is buried under this very pulpit, literally right underneath me. An old, open-faced FCA Bible. When we laid the foundation, it was on Christmas Eve nine years ago, I requested of Ross, our building facilities manager guy for the project, the project manager, I should say. He was so kind. It was a cold, rainy day. And he had, I mean, he's a professional, so he had his waders on and his boots up to over his knees. And there I was just trying to get through the, the muddy mess. But he measured it out precisely. He says, this is where the end of the stage will be. This is where, you know, your pulpit will be because you said it will be right on the end. And the goal of that, that was just a, my little way of putting a reminder that whoever teaches, preaches, from here must base it on the word of God because everything else is just shifting sand. Now I want you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to second Peter where that was first Peter. So I want you to see what Peter says elsewhere. Second Peter chapter one. This is a few verses, but it's worth reading. This is a fascinating passage. Remember, Peter was a disciple. Peter's an apostle. So he know he has been with Christ. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Think the Mount of Transfiguration. So here is... Peter saying, listen, we're eyewitnesses. Like we've seen it. We've seen him. We've seen the dead raised. We've seen all kinds of things. We've seen literally the glory of Jesus Christ on that mountain. For when verse 17, he received honor and glory from God, the father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. That is the testimony of God regarding Jesus Christ. Elsewhere he said, listen to him. Peter continues, verse 18. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Again, this is Mark chapter 9, the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, but watch what he says. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. He just said he's an eyewitness. But Peter says, I'm going to give you something of far more worth, far more reliable than the two eyes that I have and our collective testimony. The prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning rises and morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, that's the word of God, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced 
by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried away, carried along, excuse me, by the Holy Spirit. This is what John is getting at. He's talking about the word of God, the testimony of God, how sure it is. So now let's ask and answer this question. What is God's testimony? John says in our passage that there are some who are liars. Remember God's testimony regarding Jesus. So what is the testimony that we have given by the Spirit in the Word of God regarding Jesus Christ specifically? Let's start with his own words. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are beautiful words, and they're also very direct words. Jesus does not say what all the prophets said before him. He does not merely say, I'll point you to the truth, or I'll show you the truth. He says, I, I am the truth. And so whereas Isaiah and all of his friends before him, they had a message which was worship God, turn to God, return to him, serve him, honor him, love him, all of those things. What did Jesus say? That he also said, come to me. Come to me. Eternal life, remember, as John speaks to us in this passage, eternal life is not just a duration, it's a quality. Jesus said, John 17, I think it's verse 3 or verse 5, this is eternal life, that they may know you and me, whom you have sent. It's knowing God. Let's continue with the testimony of God on this most important question that John is speaking to. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll read this briefly. What are we saved from? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. You were dead in, the tre- in, you, in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is who you were. You had no life in you. You were dead in your sins. And what did you do? Well, you did the most natural thing to someone who is spiritually dead. You followed the course of this world. You followed the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, how? In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. That is a mouthful. It is also theological gold. He tells us what we have been saved from. 
what started back in Genesis, yea, hath God said, did God actually say that? I mean, did he really? I mean, we've come a long way since then. We're now far more sophisticated, far more intelligent, far more capable, blah, 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 blah. And I don't think that's really what we need to heed. Every vain philosophy of man comes from this cesspool. And this is not the truth of God. Regarding testifying and testimony, there's an old saying, let your fingers do the walking. Some of you might recall that, boys and girls. There was a thing called the Yellow Pages a long time ago. So we're now going to do that. So I would like you to take your Bibles, turn or scroll to the book of Acts. We're going to look at the apostolic proclamation of the word of God. The apostles, those first ones who were set apart by God to bring the new message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring this, this new covenant to testify to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. When you read through the book of Acts, you will find that they do not swerve one way or the other. They keep their, their testimony, they keep their declarations Spot on from beginning to end and they paid a price for it. So I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 4 verse 12. That's where we'll start is Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And I just want to trace through the book of Acts a number of passages that speak to the testimony of God. And after this first verse you will find that we see the word testify over and over and over again. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. This is Peter speaking. Now, a little background on Peter. You might know if you read the gospel accounts, Peter is likely our favorite disciple because we can identify with him. Right, Peter had what we call foot and mouth disease. Right, I mean he constantly was saying the the exact wrong thing at the worst time possible. Right, when Jesus literally, when he first disclosed to his disciples that he would die on a cross, there was Peter saying, "Stop! Not another word. None of that. That's not who you are." We know Peter is also the one who had great intentions but failed miserably. Peter is now filled with the spirit of God. Peter is now post Pentecost. He is testifying for the gospel of Jesus Christ and he is paying a price for it. Verse 12, chapter four. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Clarity. Consequence. There is consequence to the testimony of God. This is not something for us to take lightly. Peter makes the most astounding statement. He says, if you haven't already picked up 
There's something completely different about Jesus in every way. And you need to know that there is no other name, none, not one under heaven given to people by which you must be saved. In one statement, he affirms what Jesus himself said in John chapter 14. Now, turn to chapter 10. As you go through the flow of the book of Acts, Peter, the Jewish apostle, plays predominantly. But then he kind of fades out as Paul comes in and takes the gospel to the Gentiles. But at this point, we're not there yet. So, Acts chapter 10, verse, we'll start in verse 41. No, we'll start in verse 40. Talking about the resurrection. But God raised him, Jesus, on the third day and made him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter is reminding them, we're witnesses to all of this. Our whole, our whole story, our whole narrative, our whole message is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. So there's your first clue regarding Jesus Christ. Don't take him lightly. He is the judge of the living and the dead. I assure you, you have never heard that verbiage regarding Isaiah or Ezekiel or David or Amos or any of those guys from the Old Testament. Now, verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is a Jewish apostle speaking the message first to Jews and now it's is moving out to the Gentiles as well. And he is making astounding statements. All of the prophets, the Hebrew scriptures, your Old Testament, they are all aligned and they are all pointing in one direction and that is through salvation in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. As John the Baptist pointed out, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Chapter 18, verse 5. And it looks like I have written down the wrong verse. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying, testifying, there we go, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Isn't that interesting, the word order? He's saying the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the one of which the entire Hebrew scriptures is focused on, the Christ is Jesus. 
of Nazareth. They loved what he had to say and they wanted to hear more. Verse 6, when they, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said, right? This message was not a popular one. A few more. Turn to page chapter 20. This is Paul now speaking to the Ephesian leaders, the elders of the church. These new churches have been established in the Gentile world. And Paul has suffered greatly as he's brought the gospel all throughout the world. And he's establishing churches and he's trying to keep help them and encourage them and all of those things. But he has parting words. I mean, it's a very remarkable read beginning in verse 17 to the end of the chapter but but uh, we're going to look at verse 21 of chapter 20 paul said what verse 20 how i did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house paul is rehearsing he says listen I didn't hold anything back from you. I did not avoid the hard issues. I did not shrink back. I did not mold myself to fit your culture. I preached the word of God. And I did so publicly and from house to house. I did it in the public square. I did it in your living rooms. Verse 21. Testifying, there's our word, testifying both to Jews and Greeks. That is everybody. Of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the testimony. Your repentance towards God is shown in faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Look, this is not just detached philosophy for these guys. He says, I don't care if I die tomorrow. God has already told me that wherever I go, in whatever city I'm in, I'm going to suffer for the gospel. Remember, Paul, Saul, was a very well-known and a very respected Jewish leader. He had a life of comfort and prestige and honor and respect. He threw all of that away. And as he's speaking about the gospel, the good news, the testimony of God, he says, I don't care about my life. I'll suffer for this. I'll die for this. I want to be faithful to the calling that God has given me that I may testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is why John is saying Don't sleep on this. The testimony of God. One more. 28 verse 23. We'll take you to the very end almost of the book of Acts. Speaking of Paul. 
When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. What did Paul do? From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. That is the totality of the Old Testament. In every way and in every place, in every corner, Paul would go back to the Hebrew scriptures and he would say, listen, I want you to know who Jesus is from morning until evening. That's all he did. Now, let me tell you something. This is like a pretty important apostle here. That was his focus. This is the importance of the testimony of God. What I have endeavored to show is that the testimony of God regarding, as John says, regarding Jesus Christ and regarding eternal life is this. Life is in Christ. It is nowhere else. You will search your entire life for truth, for meaning, for satisfaction, and of course, for reconciliation to God. But if you're looking outside of Christ, your pursuit is in vain. This is the uniform testimony of the Son of God, of the apostles, of the Word of God. Salvation is in none other. It is in Christ. That testimony is uniform. The testimony of the Spirit of God regarding the Son of God, regarding His perfect life, His ministry, and His death on the cross, and of course, His resurrection. They are all in agreement. There is, there's, there's no disjointedness about this. The question, with, this is where this lands us, is what will you do with God's testimony? John concluded his other work, John chapter 20, verse 31, by saying this. This is his gospel, his, the account of Christ's life. He said, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Right before that, John had said, look, if I, were to, if I were to capture everything that Jesus did and said, there's not a library on earth that could hold all of it. But I've given you enough to know who Jesus is. I've given you enough to know why he came and what he offers. In his gospel, John expands a little bit on what he said in our passage. This is John chapter 3, verse 36. He says the same thing. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And he adds, and the wrath of God abides on him. The gospel means good news. 
It is the way in which we are reconciled to God in which we are saved from the wrath of God. But it's no small matter. It is beautifully good news. This is God's testimony. The application, there's many applications for us here. The first one is this, speaking to the believer, because he is writing to believers. What John has done all along is showed you what the life of God in the life of people looks like. So we draw confidence and assurance through seeing the life of God in our own life. It's designed to give confidence that having believed in Jesus, we can also see God at work in us. But also, I mean, these are strong words that he uses. He's a liar who, who, you know, who rejects or says something different than what God says. What is on the line is eternal life. That's what he's speaking to. You know, this week, we received paperwork in the office for uh, Collins, Clark. While he was here, he had lots of important paperwork to do, visa, all those type things. And uh, they're pretty slow in processing it all. So important paperwork came this week. If Collins was still with us, it, was very, it would have been very important news for him. But Collins is not with us. He's with the Lord. And so it means nothing. My point is this. You and I, all of us, we have a shelf life. We have an end date. My first thing I'd like to say is if you have not put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says today is the day of your salvation. There's one of two ways. But I'd also like to say this. To those of you, my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the essence of the testimony of God is that if we are in Christ, we know what the future holds. This is not the time for us to shrink back in fear. This is the time for us to be courageous, the sons and daughters of the living God, to take heart, to take comfort in who we are, who he is, and he's in us. He's with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Let's be good news to those around us. Would you bow and prepare your hearts for prayer? There really is no greater question than what will we do with the testimony of God. The testimony that God has given us is that life is in his son, Jesus Christ. We always put that forth. Becoming a Christian 
is not about our efforts or our church attendance. It is about knowing and believing who Jesus Christ is, what he has done for us, and putting our certainty, our faith, our confidence in what he has done for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. As Ryan so eloquently expressed earlier, there is despair around us. There's bloodshed. There's heartache. Oh, Lord, help us to trust you, to walk with you. To know that Christ has overcome the world and we are in him. Increase our faith. Strengthen our resolve. Increase our courage. And deepen our hope in you. We can't fake it to other people. We need first to be walking closely with you. To have the joy of the Lord in our countenance and the strength that only you can provide and the sweet unity, the body of Christ. May we together build one another up in our most holy faith, support one another, be looking out for the needs that other people have and speak those words that Others need to hear to keep walking with you. We're doing the things that would support and minister to others. We give you thanks and praise in, in Jesus' name. Amen.